there, freaks. Happy Friday. My name is Alyssa Canova, and welcome back to Freaks and Shrieks. Thanks to everyone who's tuning in, all five of you. It really means the world to me. Um, and if you feel so inclined uh, to share my posts on Instagram or Twitter, you can find me at Freaks and Shrieks. Um, I'll put my tag in the description. Um, and if not, a rating would really help me out a lot. Um, I'd love the opportunity to have guests on the pod at some point. Um, so please donate so that I can buy a second microphone. That would be dope. Um, but for anyone who's new here, this is a podcast where I walk you through two horror movies that I watched this week and share my unqualified opinion. And this week's theme is food, more specifically gourmet chef curated food. And both of the films this week involve a chef's obsession with their craft to the point of it being deadly. So first we have an old favorite that I found in the depths of Netflix back in high school late one night at a sleepover with my best friend Compulsion from 2013. Had so much fun revisiting that. And then following that, I watched the new movie The Menu from 2022 that everyone still seems to be buzzing about despite a surprising lack of flavor. But first, I want to tell y'all about Compulsion. So I actually texted my friend trying to find out the name of this because I couldn't for the life of me, remember Heather Graham's name, uh, despite picturing her face. And I also couldn't remember who starred opposite her, but it's Carrie Ann Moss as in Trinity from the Matrix. So those are our um, leading ladies. Um, but I somehow ended up finding it. Uh, I did want to watch Bones and All this week, um, but it was going to cost like $20 to rent. So I decided to find this one instead. And I'm glad I did because uh, I think it ties in a lot better. Um, but yeah, we can do, you know, full on cannibalism another time, I think. So Heather Graham's character, her name is Amy. She's she's this blonde, curvy, like very like buxom babe, very Stepford. She, you know, has her hair curled and her makeup done and she's wearing great clothes, but she's obsessed with cooking and she's obsessed with the idea that she's going to have her own cooking show. So a lot of times throughout the movie, she like cuts to these daydreams where she's in her kitchen, but she's like under these studio lights and she has a live studio audience. And she's not only a chef, but she's like a love guru and she's like very sexy and makes a lot of puns and wears stilettos. But then like when she comes back to reality, it's pretty gray, even though she does have this fabulous kitchen. Um, so we see her in her kitchen and there's a knock on the door and it's a detective. And he says he wants to ask her some questions about her neighbor. Um, but like this whole time she's being very evasive. She's not really looking at him, but like she invites him inside and she's like busying herself in the kitchen and she's offering him souffle, which he keeps refusing. Um, and we find out that the neighbor's name is Saffron Nelson. Um, this is uh, Trinity from the Matrix. Um, and she's a pretty famous actress, but she now writes a love column. Um, and she apparently gets a lot of phone calls, but has, quote, no lovers. Um, and Amy kind of keeps equivocating about how well she knows her. And she asks, like, if she's missing or if it's potentially a suicide but we hear a phone call uh, from the neighboring apartment <clears throat> through the wall. And then so we're moving back in time to before um, Saffron went missing. And Saffron's apartment, she has a message on the answering machine, which is basically her agent giving her a rejection. And then back in Amy's apartment, she's just had her kitchen renovated, but she's complaining to her fiance 
played by Kevin Dillon, that the counter needs to be brought up four inches um, to accommodate her stilettos that she has to wear when she cooks. And he like begrudgingly agrees and says he'll be back for dinner. But then we cut to and he's having like a pretty intimate conversation with his like uh, female co-worker. And Amy calls him on the phone because he's late for dinner. And when he finally shows up, she serves him and they eat and she turns the meal into like a um, like a sensual <laughs> playtime and they start fooling around on the table and she's like very like food is like a big part of it for her he's like let's go to the couch and she's like no let's do it on the table so we can smell the truffles but then a glass crashes to the floor and it like totally takes her out of it and she's freaking out and she wants to glue it back together and so we cut back to the present day with the detective And so we know that like Saffron has been low on leading roles for a while and that she's like really struggling with her career. So then we flash back again. Saffron's in her apartment. She's pacing around reading lines and she's fighting back a lot of like tortured memories about getting into acting very young um, by her very abusive and manipulative stage mother. And we know that like her mother... Trigger warning, I should have opened with this, but we're going to learn that Saffron has an eating disorder that definitely began um, with her mother, but she also has just a lot of trauma about being in the industry altogether. So, like, she is having a lot of memories about that. Um, But back in Amy's apartment, um, her fiancé is saying goodbye to this uh, caged pet bird, and Amy gets some of Saffron's mail, and she brings it next door. And up until this point, she wasn't really sure if it was her, but once she realized that it's Saffron Nelson, the movie star, she's, like, starstruck. And so, and then she hears her phone ring, so she goes back, and she has a conversation with her mother, who is also... um has an eating disorder and she's like warning her that if she gains too much weight her fiance is going to leave her and she needs to try this Chinese herb to lose weight and Amy is like my ma- my man is totally satisfied which like he isn't but it has nothing to do with you know her figure because she's fucking Heather Graham and I actually read that Heather Graham gained 10 pounds for this role which is like I don't know why we make actresses do that like hire curvy actresses instead I would say but um literally it all went to her tits and hips like she looks like so curvaceous and wonderful but I digress um and her mom is like I lost Herb when I gained weight and I think it's interesting that the mom has an ex-husband named Herb because now Amy is like obsessed with someone named Saffron I think it's funny I wonder if her mom like also has a cooking kink or like a food kink I don't know but for like a for a few scenes like in the evening we'll we'll cut to Amy and she's just laying in bed and watching this old movie that Saffron was in when she was pretty young and she's like watching these love scenes and she's just like watching them over and over like she is in love with her and so we cut back to Saffron and she's she's gone to an audition and the casting director is like hey oh sorry I, I tried to get in touch with you we really don't need to see you read like we want to go with like a newer face and there's not a lot of money in it. Like I, it's really not a big deal. And Saffron's like, I don't care. I just want to read regardless of the money. She just wants to act poor girl. And the casting lady is like, actually we're looking for someone younger. So, so bye. So devastating. And we cut back to Amy and she's made another super gourmet gourmet meal for her man. And he's sitting at the table and he's feeding the pet bird And Amy clearly feels like she's getting less attention than the bird. And she's like, I cooked all day for you. 
And he's like, well, maybe you don't have to do that. Maybe you can get a life instead. And she's like, I am getting a life. What about the cooking show that I have been planning in my head all the time? And they fight. And later she tries to feed him some dessert. But he's like, stop fucking trying to feed me. Crazy. Um, which she obviously takes hard because it's the only thing she wants to do. Um, but she takes the dessert and she leaves it in front of uh, Saffron's door across the hall. And the next day or so, Amy goes to this restaurant where she used to work and she like walks in the back and walks through the kitchen and a guy who works there is like, hey, you're not getting your job back. And she's like, I don't want it back. I am going to have a cooking show. But she's like going there to spy on her fiance because he apparently still goes to that restaurant that she used to work at and he's there with that female coworker. And so she is now officially a woman scorned and she will not be fucking having it. So in her head, she's in her cooking show, she's under the bright lights, and she's angrily making a meal and monologuing, and the audience is just like cheering her on, like, yeah, go girl. Um, And when the fiance shows up for dinner, apparently we learn it's the anniversary of their engagement. Um, So they've been engaged for a year now, which does not bode well. And it looks like Amy has made his favorite organic partridge. But she's like, actually, they were out today. And the last few times I made it for you, you weren't able to properly enjoy it because you weren't here when it was fresh out of the oven. And so he's, you know, kind of starting to apologize for like being insensitive And she goes on and she's like, so when I was deciding what to cook, I just decided I would let the wine decide what would pair well with this little lovebird. That's what she calls it, a little lovebird. And at that point, the fiance starts looking around and he's like, where, where's Sebastian, his pet bird? And he's like calling out for him. And Amy just kind of looks around like, oh, I don't know. But then she pulls a feather out of her cleavage and just puts it on the table and he's like, oh, fuck. She just fucking killed the bird. Um, but yeah, and then we just, she's just very, very cool about it. And we just cut to, and she's knocking on Saffron's door. She's really trying to get in good with her. She invites her over for dinner the next week. And she asks if she liked the dessert. And Saffron said that she did. And so we cut back to present day. And the detective is like, how can someone as reclusive as Saffron write a sex column like it's very detailed it's very raunchy and amy is like still trying to feed him food and he's like i'm really just a meat and potatoes guy like if i eat any like you know dessert i'll i'll you know get sick i even have a pill for it yada 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 um and then he's like do you have anyone in your life because someone must be really missing out and she's like oh i got rid of the last one now i'm as free as a bird And so now she's back on her little cooking show and she's making a fish en croute. And she says that a dish like this says a lot. And what it says is that I've made this for you with affection. So, of course, who did she give it to? Saffron. She has such a huge gay crush on her. Um, So she brings the, the, uh, what is it called? Fish en croute? Fish in a crust. It looks delicious, frankly. And she's like, I I know I'm pushy, Saffron, but I made this especially for you. And you're so skinny. And she's like, I need to lose like 10 pounds because I'm like 10 pounds too heavy for my height. Which is so interesting that she said that upon learning that. Heather Graham allegedly gained exactly 10 pounds for this role that they had to make that note in the film like oh just so you know she's aware that she's overweight you know we wouldn't we wouldn't want someone who is curvy and actually like okay with their body no like she knows she needs to lose 10 pounds 
Ugh, it makes me sick. And it's especially like frustrating because she's talking to a character who literally does have an eating disorder. And anyway, so Saffron keeps like pushing back and like she finally has a bite and gets Amy to leave. But as soon as Amy leaves, she like goes into the bathroom and throws it up. And so back in her head <laughs> in her cooking show, Amy is still trying to like figure out what she can make for this girl to make her fall in love with her. So she's preparing a rack of lamb and she's like, and Liam is a libido enhancer. Why? And everyone together says amino acids. And she's like, my fiance used to say that he didn't fight his way to the top of the food chain to be a vegetarian. But who says vegetarians don't let out their inner animal in the bedroom? And then she winks at the camera and it's like, okay, okay, I see you. Because Saffron as we'll learn in the next scene, is a vegetarian. So Amy brings over the lamb to Saffron and she's like gesturing to the movie poster of the movie that uh, Amy has been watching obsessively. And she's like, you were amazing in that. And Saffron is like, oh, I broke my leg while making it. And she's like, well, I hope you got paid a lot. And Saff is like, oh, well, my mother took care of all that. Amy's like, well, I made this for you. And did you know that women who don't eat red meat have weaker orgasms? And Saffron's like, I don't eat meat. And Amy is like, yeah, I could tell that by looking at you, but you've never tried any of my meat dishes. And Saffron's like, half of India doesn't eat meat. And, you know, I'm sure they have sex. And Amy's like, yeah, but did they have good sex? So ugh, there's just so much going on here. Um, but during this, Saffron gets another phone call, another rejection. And Amy keeps trying to feed her, but Saffron is having flashbacks again of her mother and the pressure that was put on her to keep her weight down and to be successful when she was a child. And her mom had, like, taken her to this party with studio execs. And uh, she, ba her mom basically handed over her to this guy to be assaulted. And, like, yeah, her mom just, like, completely abandoned her. It's very heartbreaking. So Amy is just still trying to figure her out and she starts making her oysters, you know, the famous aphrodisiac. And she keeps knocking at her door, but she won't answer. And a couple of days go by, it seems. And then Amy sees Saffron taking out the trash and it looks through the clear bag as if Saffron hasn't eaten any of the stuff that she gave to her. Like she sees the whole fish on crew in there and the like whole dessert and the lamb. And so she's like, she goes ballistic. She like takes the trash bag from her, dumps it all out. She's like taking inventory of all the food that's left. And she's yelling at her and she's like, this is the appreciation I get like going crazy. And Saffron is like crying and apologizing. And Amy is like trying to shove food in her mouth and getting her to eat it. And Saffron is like, I literally can't. <laughs> and she's like, if you want to get to know me, then here, come get to know me. And she like brings her into the bathroom and she shows Amy how she throws up. And she's like, I have been dealing with this for years and I don't like it. And Amy is like obviously concerned, but she's like, I still want to try and cook you dinner. How about soup? And so Saffron is like, okay, fine. Um... And so later, we Saffron knocks on Amy's door and she's like wearing like a long dress and a shawl and her hair's all done. And it's like, oh my God, they're on a date. And she brings a script and she like gets Amy to run lines with her. And Amy has made her like a simple ginger soup. And she's like, the ginger should like calm your stomach. And I just think this is so sweet. Like, I, I just think it's adorable. Anyway, so... 
they start running lines together and it's a pretty intimate dialogue and they're just kind of like joking about it and making fun of it and eventually saffron leaves and as she's leaving amy like offers to run lines with her and go to the audition with her and then she hands her some something i think it's like a dvd but she says she found it on youtube so i don't know how that works but uh we cut to saf watching the dvd and it's like her audition tape for when she was like nine years old and she's like singing this really sweet sad song and it's very sad and then the next day at the audition uh saffron gets brought in to read and someone from the back in the room is like hi saffron and she's like oh i can't see you the lights and so he comes out from behind the lights and she realizes that it's the guy who assaulted her when she was a child and so she's like freaking out and she struggles to get her bag and she rushes out the room and amy takes her home to lie down and later saffron wakes up from a nap and she asks Amy if she puts this much effort into everyone or if she's just special. And Amy says, you're special, but I don't know how to give you anything. <laughs> it's so sad. And Saffron says there's only one thing she can do and she's perfect for it. And if she does it, she'll love her forever and have her forever. And then the two start kissing and then they start banging. And then after they're done, Saffron asks again, like if Amy will help her with something. And Amy says, of course. And then they say, I love you to each other. It's so tender and sweet. And then the ending like hits you like a truck. So we're back. Amy is having the conversation with the detective and he asks if Saffron was depressed about work. And Amy was like, okay, well, who isn't? And she was like, by the way, I have a surprise for you, you being a meat and potatoes guy. It's the best dish I've ever made, and you better not insult me by letting my last portion go to waste. So he tries it, and he's like, oh, this is real gourmet. But uh, by the way, I did a background check on you, and I found no information about your cooking show. And she's like, oh, well, you know, the, the studio is keeping it under wraps until it comes out. And then he pulls out a feather a gray feather and he asks if she recognizes it and she's like oh well I'm I'm not a bird expert and he's like well it was from your ex-fiance's pet African gray and there was a pretty disturbing police report with some wild allegations in it did you think that we weren't going to talk to him and she's like oh well he's just upset because he put this place in my name and that bird just flew away just like saffron and he's like people don't just disappear and Amy starts um putting like putting the dish he was eating she's cleaning it off and she's scraping everything into the garbage disposal and rinsing it off and the garbage disposal is like running amy says i have nothing to hide get a search warrant <laughs> as she is putting this red meat down the drain and she's looking at him and he's looking at her and everything is going down the garbage disposal and he like backs out of the room like sick to his stomach and it's like so yeah she cooked her at her own request and fed it to the detective why you ask I really don't know I really don't know why Saffron did this iconic for sure but it's also like since Amy is the one who is living to tell the tale, it's like, is she, was this all in her head? Did she like kill Saffron because she was obsessed with her and then cook her? Or did they actually have this love affair and that's really how Saffron wanted to go? I don't know. Kind of a mystery, but I don't like, is that not amazing? So, okay. But the very last shot is it's like Amy 
and Saffron are at the dining room table and there's like just a really heavenly light and Saffron is like finally able to eat again and it's just very sweet because they're like together but yeah still kind of a mystery as to like how it actually ended but does that not give you chills like I gotta tell you like this movie came out in 2013 so when I watched it couldn't have been that long after it had come out so it must have been released like straight to Netflix or just like straight to DVD and and Netflix got it more like that because it was 2013 um but a fun watch like I don't know why people don't talk about it more so I don't know if you're a sapphic I think you might enjoy this one even though it is a little bit there's a lot of trauma involved but uh it's a good one it's a good one Now, our next film, (laughs) The Menu, from 2002. This movie feels like it was made by a handful of studio executives who either watched The Bear on Hulu or just, like, heard about it. And they were like, everyone seems to be responding positively to this Yes Chef thing. So why don't we make that a horror movie? And that's exactly what this is. They brought out the big guns with Anya Taylor-Joy as the down-to-earth moral compass protagonist and the guy who plays Voldemort as the head chef and villain. Um, And of course, it also stars that British guy from Skins, but he has an American accent and a very annoyingly American name, Tyler. And so, yeah, I think I, I, I didn't even realize it was the guy who played Voldemort until I started watching it. Like Ralph Fiennes, that name didn't do anything for me. And I did, it wasn't until I started watching him that I was like, oh yeah, it's Voldemort. But you know, they really, they, they really tried to market this movie to me specifically. And once again, I fell victim to like movie trailer hypnotization. Like I saw the trailer for this and I was like, oh yeah. But frankly, it was uh, sloppy and it was, you know, it was the white Lotus meets the bear and you got the biggest movie star of the year. And despite its effort to be innovative, uh, it still fell pretty flat. And I don't mean to be mean. Like, I think I just had too high of hopes once again and them being totally dashed. But I even think if I hadn't seen the trailer, I still would have felt like this was a pretty churned out movie. Um, but it did have, you know, it had a pretty good pacing. Like it wasn't a bad watch. It just, you know, wasn't as great as I was expecting, but it it had a pretty good pacing and it, it, you know, definitely better than how I'm about to retell it. But anyway, let's get into it. So we start off with like our main couple, Anya Taylor-Joy and uh, her name's Margot and Tyler. So Margot and Tyler, and she's smoking a cigarette and he's like, you're going to ruin your palate. And you're basically like, okay, off to a great start. This guy's a fucking prick. And so a bunch of people are boarding a boat to go to this remote island where this insanely expensive restaurant is. Um, it's called the Hawthorne on, I think it's on Hawthorne Island. And this just automatically makes me think of Pierce Hawthorne from Community because like his family called everything Hawthorne and I just like imagine that he was the mastermind behind all of this I think that would be funny um but he's dead so (laughs) Margot she's wearing this like long lavender silk slip dress and leather jacket and boots and she's got on this red wig with bangs and Tyler just looks like every you know white guy ever and she notes how there are only like 12 people and how could this place turn a profit and he mentions that it's um $1,250 a head and isn't like oh but it's you know ghost to talk money so let's not let's just drop it um 
But then they're getting on the boat and then they're checking in with this hostess and she says the name of this girl who is not Margot and Tyler was like, oh, well, we had a change of plans. She couldn't make it. And it's so awkward. Like he was going to bring another bitch. <laughs> like it's like off to a great start. So then they, they take the boat ride to this island and then they're being shown around and there are people in the in the ocean harvesting the scallops that they're going to eat that night for dinner. And one jackass is like, go faster. We're hungry. So I'll introduce you to our cast of characters. We have an old, rich, white husband and wife. We have an aging Latino actor and his younger, hotter assistant. We have a group of three finance bros. We have a food critic accompanied by her magazine editor. And then we'd have like a random old lady alone in the corner. And the food critic is incredibly obnoxious. She like worships the chef and her editor just constantly validates everything she says. And Tyler is also a huge foodie. Um, and he gets told before the meal starts that no pictures are allowed, but he continues to take pictures anyway. Like it's like a reflex for him. And he's totally simping for the chef. So obnoxious. And he's like, I saw all his episodes of Chef's Table. And I know the name of this weird arbitrary kitchen appliance that costs more than a car. And I know what it's used for. And Margot is very much like, I don't get it. And of course, he tries to explain it to her in the most pretentious way possible by saying that like like cuisine is like superior to like any type of like art, like visual art or music or anything because it requires use of the raw materials of the earth. And in creating art with the raw materials, you become just like God. Like he he really said that. So now I'll like take you through all of the courses of the meal and try and sprinkle in the story as I go. Um, it does get a little convoluted, but they start with back on the boat. They had started with an oyster course. It was like an oyster topped with caviar. Um, and then once they're in the dining room, they have an amuse bouche. Um, and what is cool is that like every course is like annotated, like on the screen that will like show what's in each course, which they explain it too, but it, it kind of like it makes it kind of like a cooking show. And the thing is, it's like, I thought that was cute. And I really wanted this to be like a fully immersive movie. Like I was ready for it to be good. And then I just got, I kept getting taken out of it. So I, I don't know, you know, but whatever. So the amuse bouche is these teeny tiny little portions of, I don't even know what. Um, and the old couple the old woman remarks to her husband that Margot kind of looks like their daughter and he's immediately just like stop don't say that and he's like acting very weird about it um but then the first course is the island and this is like basically a rock with scallops on it it's just supposed to look like a small scale like representation of like the surrounding terrain or whatever it's pretty cute but each course uh is accompanied by wine and the sommelier is one of the guys from the sonic commercials so i thought that was funny he seems to be doing good and i love that for him the second course is when we really start getting weird so the second course is the bread course but there's no bread. And he goes through this whole speech explaining how fundamental bread is and how it's so fundamental that it's, you know, what peasants eat when they have nothing else. And in 
remarking that obviously no one in this room is a peasant and because he is like creating like high art and high cuisine it wouldn't make any sense for them to eat bread and I don't know he like he explains it in a way that's like okay you're a jackass but also yeah feed these rich people nothing Uh, it's kind of funny to see but the food critic she's like fascinated by it but then she's like okay so they basically serve a plate like an empty plate that has like five tiny little dollops of like accompaniments he calls them so they're like sauces and garnishes or whatever and the food critic she she comments that one of the emulsions has split she's like you just really shouldn't see that in a place of this quality and then of course he overhears her and so like within a minute (laughs) the server brings her over a huge like soup bowl full of quote more split emulsion and she's like taken aback, but is also like, okay, maybe I shouldn't fuck with this guy. And Margot is like pissed. She's like, this is insulting and you're eating it up because you worship this guy, but he's literally insulting you right now. And he's just like not buying it. And she's like not going to touch these tiny little sauces because why would she? And so he like grabs his plate from her and knocks over her wine glass in the process and so like someone comes over to clean it up and then the chef starts coming over and Tyler's like pissing himself apologizing him but the chef like pays him no mind he talks to Margot and asks why she isn't eating and she's very much like I prefer real food thank you and after this they sort of develop what is like sort of a weird relationship because like everyone on the staff knows that she's not supposed to be there like even when she sat down at the table there was a little card with the other girl's name on it like Tyler had RSVP'd with a different guest. And so following like Margot's stubbornness and her unwillingness to eat, he like talks to her in his office and says that he knows she's a fellow service worker that he could just tell. And he could also tell that she had a weird relationship with the older man at the other table. And she admits that he used to pay her to jerk off in front of her. But that wasn't the weird part. The weird part was that he would call her by his daughter's name and other stuff like that. Um, so yeah, that's some, some fun insight. Um, cause for like, at first when she was telling the story, I was like, that's horrifying. Like I'm a server. If someone jacked off in front of me, I would not be this chill about it. But then I realized that she's, she's in the service industry as in she's a sex worker. Um, but I think it's kind of cute that he's like, he feels this like camaraderie with her. It's like, yeah, working class unite. But then he, his, his, his ideas are correct. His execution is severely flawed, much like that fellow with the rings, you know, you Avengers head, you know what I mean? Anyway, so the third course is what I would like to call tacos with trauma. So Chef Voldemort introduces this course by introducing everyone to his mother. So the little old lady who is sitting at a table by herself, that's his mom. And he tells a story about his childhood involving domestic violence, like an incident of domestic violence, which resulted in his mother like wrapping a phone cord around her husband's neck and the chef having to like stab him in the leg with a pair of scissors. So for this course, there's a roast chicken that sits atop like a coiled phone cord with like this, like a dainty pair of gold scissors just like stabbed into it. And everyone also gets served like warm, fresh tortillas, which are toasted with images. So everyone's tortillas have something different, like each table. 
So the movie star, his tortillas are decorated with movie posters from this hokey film where he like played a doctor. And Tyler's tortillas are decorated with photos of him taking photos of the food. And he suddenly feels so regretful, wanting to apologize. Um, but Margot's like, dude, he, they took these photos of you. Like, you don't need to apologize. But also, like, he was being a jackass. So whatever. And the finance bros, tortillas, they look like like wire transfer receipts, which are, like, clearly evidence of some random white-collar crime. And I don't know. But they're pissed about it. And then the old man's tortillas have photos of him dining with a young woman, i.e. not his wife. And the wife is like, who is that? And he's like, I have no idea. Um, And the food critic's tortillas have photos of several different restaurants that had all been shut down because of her negative reviews. And so obviously this is all kind of like point to everyone's follies. But the funniest part is that is that the movie stars were just this this film poster And I mean, it kind of like comes out throughout the movie, like his motives for wanting to destroy all of these people. But the movie star, he literally like goes on a monologue later where he's like, I had one day off. I went to see your film and I'm never getting those two hours back. That's why you're here. That's why you're going to die tonight, bitch. And I just thought that that was very funny. So anyway, (laughs) moving on after the taco course. We have a course called The Mess and there is a huge white sheet on the ground and it's like bordered with like like bouquets of like dried herbs or something. And the chef introduces this course by bringing forth his sous chef and he's basically talking to him, at him, to the, everyone in the restaurant about like how hard this guy has worked his whole life to be like him and how he never will be despite all of his hard work and even if you could have his life he doesn't actually want it and so he's standing there and he kind of starts to cry and then he pulls out a gun and he puts it in his mouth and he shoots himself in the head and pretty much everyone like stands up and like almost immediately tries to leave like they're all like what the fuck is going on And so he like subdues everyone and he like assures them that it's all part of the menu. And some people are like, well, surely that was just theater. Like, surely that wasn't real. Like the food critic, even though she was the most afraid and the first one hoping to get out the door, she's like, it's this is it's theater. He's doing this on purpose. It's fine. It's fine. So then they have a palate cleanser course, which is just like a glass teapot filled with flowers and shit. And he directs them all to look out the window where they see this guy in angel wings being like lowered down from the sky somehow, being lowered down from something until he inevitably drowns. And while this is happening, like he's explaining that this is the guy who basically invested in this restaurant and made it all happen. Um, And this guy is like the boss of the finance bros. And so uh, this is when they like really realize like everyone's fucked. Like at some point he very matter of factly tells everyone that they're going to die that night. Like that's how it's going to end. But I don't really remember at what point he peppers that in. Like there's a kind of a lot of side stuff happening that I can't really get to, but I digress. So he kills this guy and then he takes everyone outside for the next course. And introducing this course 
is another cook. It's a girl. She has really like short bangs and I'm like fuck not another suicide but no she stands in front of everyone and she tells a story about how the chef um, made sexual advances toward her when she had first started working there and when she rebuffed him he just treated her very coldly for years wouldn't look her in the eye wouldn't speak to her even though he never fired her he kind of just always treated her like shit because she denied him and she says that this course is called is called man's folly and so then uh the chef comes up and he apologizes and she stabs him in the leg i really thought she stabbed him in the dick which would have made so much more sense but no she stabs him in the leg and then she wipes like a bloody handprint smear onto his jacket and they say that the men will have a head start to try and get off the island if they want to try to do that um, and that this is their chance to run. And so pretty much all the guys take that cue and immediately start running. Don't look to their partners. Don't look to their friends. They just immediately start running away when they think that they might have an opportunity to get out. Except for Tyler, which was interesting. He kind of stayed by Margot's side until the chef was like, uh, you too, buddy, go on. <laughs> and so he runs away. But eventually all of the men are found. And when they're found, they're given this little dish that's like in an eggshell, you know, something incredibly pretentious. Um, so outside, while all the men are being caught, um, the women are having like a heart to heart inside. They're all just drinking a bunch of wine together. And then Margot reveals that her real name is Aaron. And it's like, who cares? Like, it doesn't matter, really. Like, I don't know why she told us that. Um, and then like the, the cook is there, the cook who had stabbed the chef and they're like, are we really going to die? And she's like, oh yeah, we're definitely, we're all going to die tonight. Like that was my idea. I'm so excited. And they're like, okay, fuck. <laughs> so then all the men get brought into the dining room, which I thought they were going to get killed. Like I thought this was going to be like a pick them off one by one type scenario, but apparently that was just the sous chef. Um, but Next, the chef starts giving Tyler some very pointed attention and is like, you, you, you understand. You, you get this stuff. Like, you must be a master in the kitchen. Um, and so he gives him a little cook jacket and is like, go cook. And he's like, what? And he's like, uh, you know, go cook. And so he goes into the kitchen and literally all of the other cooks are just standing around him. And the chef is like, what do you need? And he's like, uh, duh. The uh, leaks and, and Steph's like okay cool making some leaks what else and he is sweating bullets like this scene made me so nervous it was heartbreaking and he like decides to make lamb and then he like undercooks it and he finishes it and the chef tries it and he's like it's actually terrible you don't actually know anything about what we do and yet you've taken all the magic out of it by being a pretentious douchebag um, and then he whispers something into Tyler's ear that we can't hear. And Tyler really starts to cry now and then just walks away. <laughs> um, so after that, the chef goes back to Margot and he asks her to fetch a barrel. He's like, my colleague failed to fetch this barrel and I need you to go do it. So he sends her on an errand to get like a keg, essentially. And as she's passing through the back of the kitchen, she sees that Tyler has hung himself. And like she almost grins. Like it's kind of like that moment at the end of Midsummer where she slowly starts to smile. Like 
She doesn't, but she wants to, you know, <laughs> like she doesn't feel any type of way, but she wants to get the fuck out. So she starts snooping around the island and she finds the chef's cabin, which inside looks exactly like the restaurant. This is probably the creepiest part. It looks exactly like the restaurant with a bunch of tables and everything. And his bed is just like in the corner. And while she's in there, she gets attacked by the hostess. And she's like, he never asked me to grab the barrel. And he's trying to replace me. And she's freaking out. And so they fight for a little bit. And then uh, Margot just like has to stab her to save herself. And so she makes it back to the dining room and she like kicks in the keg. And then they all kind of sit down again. But um, as they're like waiting for the next course, they hear a a boat come. And so this secure, like this boat security guy, whatever, comes in. Margot had found a radio in the chef's house and had signaled for somebody. So this guy comes in and like when they knew that they were coming, the chef like puts everything back together. Like he puts on an apron to cover up the blood that's on him. He, you know, tucks a napkin into Margot's shirt so it doesn't, you can't see the blood that's on her and like, you know, gets everything back to normal, wants everything to look perfect. And so this guy comes in and everyone is just acting like everything is okay. They're all like sweating, but they're not, they're not giving it away because they're scared shitless. Um, but then he recognizes the movie star and the chef is like, oh, do you want to get his autograph? And so of course, um, the movie star, instead of signing his name, he writes, help me on the piece of paper. And when the guy reads it, he turns back and he eventually like draws a gun and it gets very heightened and he tells everyone to be quiet and you know Voldemort is like putting his hands in the air and then he like points the gun towards Margot and he like pulls the trigger and like lights the candle like it wasn't a real gun it was a lighter and the chef is like ah ha ha good one so this guy <laughs> he was in on everything he'd been playing along the whole time he is not there to save them it's it's pretty devastating but then so that guy leaves and then Margot, she kind of starts like verbally sparring with the chef again. And she's like, yeah, you can make all this fancy shit, but I bet you can't make a simple cheeseburger. And he's like, I bet you I can make the best fucking cheeseburger you've ever had. And she's like, I don't think you can. And he's like, okay, fine. It's cheeseburger time. And so he makes her like a double stack cheeseburger with fries on the side, crinkle cut. And he brings it to her and she has one bite of it. And she's like, I think my eyes were bigger than my stomach. Could you get me a box? <laughs> like the way she asked for a box, I really thought he was just going to kill her. But he goes and he boxes it up for her and gives her a gift bag and is like, okay, you can leave now. Goodbye. And she's like, okay. And so she leaves and she goes and she gets on a boat with her, you know, cheeseburger in a little to-go box. And she she takes to the seat. Um, but no one else is that lucky because she's the only one that's not rich. And so everyone else has to suffer. And so for the last course, everyone gets, I don't even know if they strap them to the chair or if they just stay still, but they're in their chairs and everyone gets cloaked with these like cloaks made of marshmallows. And they put <laughs> these hats made of like tempered chocolate on their head. And then he like starts building a bonfire in the middle and he gets on top of it and he's like, marshmallows are disgusting. Chocolate candy bar and like factory made graham crackers. Like s'mores are literally the most disgusting American thing ever. But you add a little heat and suddenly it's good. 
And so basically, yeah, this is how it's going to happen. They're all going to go up in flames and be a giant s'more campfire. And as they all go up in flames, you know, Anya Taylor-Joy is just sitting on the boat eating a cheeseburger, watching them burn. And that's how it ends, which is like way to subvert expectations because you'd think they just poison everyone if they're going to be feeding them all night. Like, I kind of thought that was the thing because like Margot like wasn't really eating all night. She was just like not. And then she just has one bite of the cheeseburger and then gets it to go. And I'm like, oh, he's giving it to her to go because the poison is in there and she hasn't gotten a good dose yet. No, there's no poison at all in this movie. They were just all burned alive. I don't know. It's just very... It just feels like it's so done. Like, even though most of the aspects of this movie were pretty unique, it still felt trite somehow and still felt pandery. I don't know. I mean, I think it's worth watching. Like, it's literally an hour and 45 minutes. So it could definitely be a lot worse. Um, So watch it. But I wouldn't say that it is worth the hype that it seems to have been getting. I also don't think it's it's worth getting, you know, negative reviews. But, you know, I digress. So I hope I have fed you well. I hope you're full. I hope you're satisfied. Um, next week, we will be back with two more movies. Hopefully, the episode will be posted uh, Friday morning. I know this episode is coming to you guys a little bit late. I apologize for that. I am very tired and very busy. But I have one day off work this week. So I'm you know, going to get back in the game and be back with you guys next Friday with two new or two old slash new to me movies um and until then if you want to follow me on instagram or twitter um or shoot me an email or just check out the website that i work so hard to make um all of those links will be um in the description or whatever um but yeah it's been real so bye